Hi, it's Rick, uh, Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. Thanks for listening. Today, uh, we have someone who's, uh, I would say, has lived the Okanagan dream. He's uh, built a business, did okay in the business, got a few shekels together, and now he's just looking for opportunity. But I didn't want to spill too much candy in the lobby, as they say. Um, uh, welcome to the big show, Jason Sabanga. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So Jason, you've uh, you've got a really interesting story, which is uh, you started Big Steel Box, and uh, I mean, obviously, a family man and, and a whole bunch of other things, but but kind of take us through, um, like, when did when did the idea, because you started Big Steel Box here in Kelowna? Uh, no, it was actually my dad started uh, with a location in Salmon Arm, so renting and selling shrimp containers, uh, not under Big Steel Box name. Uh, okay. I moved then to Kelowna. Did the same business model here in 2003 and 2004. My other brother moved to Abbotsford, started the same business model, different business name down there. In 2005, my other brother moved to Kamloops and did the, did the same. Um, and then it was in 05, 06, somewhere in there that we all decided that we'd kind of rebrand all under Big Steel Box. We were finding people were kind of playing us against each other and wanting us to compete. And, and uh, yeah, so... That's, so you that's were how all it really started. You were all separate entities. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And then you, but you're all family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the common thread in that. So my dad was was partners. I actually came through uh, Community Futures here in Kelowna. So I was off off for the winter, and my dad had just started uh, working this business model out of Salmon Arm. He had done landscaping and houseboat rentals and a bunch of different things. And, and this was really taking off. And so we came down here, I was on EI and Community Futures helped us get the business started. And, and so me and my dad went into partnership and, and started location number two. So much you want to dive into with that. So Community Futures, just give me a, a quick overview. Cause I've, you know, I've, uh, I've heard about it. I've obviously uh, heard a lot about the program. Did it give you that that leg up to get this business plan going and, and really feel good about what you were doing? Totally, yeah. Like I think it gave us the confidence to to step into it. At, at that time, I remember when we were driving down here, my dad was like, oh, there's no way somebody's not doing this business in Kelowna already. And, and we got here and we're surprised that, that nobody was. And, and so, yeah, Community Futures, both through like a mentorship network through um, funding funding my wages for the first nine or 12 months. And and so it's really, it's a program. I, I fell into a number of things because it was young entrepreneur. Um, I was coming through the, I went in, I was working landscaping for my dad that, that year previously. So I was on, came on to EI. So I was, it kind of like blended all those. And, and yeah, I think the power of all those different programs came together and it was it was great for us. And you mentioned that word confidence, and I think that's the big key with a lot of people that are looking to start their business is the confidence to actually take the next step, get some investment going, and actually start building a business. Totally, yeah. Um, with this with this idea, um, did you know a lot about, obviously, growing up in the family, you knew a lot about the container business? And, I mean, I, I've seen it kind of grow and morph and evolve and that kind of thing like people are building houses out of some of these containers like there's so many different uses for them do you want to give people an idea of what what the container business really is yeah so like and and at that time it was it was only just starting in in canada really and so we were 
kind of right place, right time. There were big companies down at the coast that were just selling them out of port. Um, but uh, my dad was landscaper. He bought a few, and then we had a property in Salmon Arm on the highway, and so he would rent them out to his contractor buddies. And it was kind of in 2002 that he went full-time into this business. Um, and and then, yeah, then in 2003, I came in, 2004. So it really just... We all kind of got to grow in the business together, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was a lot of fun. Uh, but the business really started out as this construction site rental, uh, s- secure storage. And what we started to see was the the residential moving in storage. And so co- companies like Pods were growing uh, out east and and down in the states. And and at the, at first we actually almost didn't didn't get into that business at all because it was a lot more high maintenance the way we saw it. Like the contractor was really easy to work with, but mm-hmm. that really ended up being a huge part of our brand. Um, and, and what, what we did was that, that residential business. It must be a huge upfront cost to get that going, like to get all the, the containers and everything else. Like I'm sure you probably figured out financing or, or some sort of program, but it, it seems like that's the, that's the big onus on people is to get a lot of capital buy a lot of containers and and then start the marketing machine. Yeah, and like interestingly, I think the asset itself was is, is one of the greatest returns out there because it's it it lasts for like 30 plus years and still has a value. Um, and and the actual payback is and especially back then was quite quick, but but the obstacle really still was nobody understood it because nobody could look at an asset. You'd go to the bank and they go so when does when's a useful life over? And you go thirty years and it break their model, and and you go and and so the even though it was a serialized asset, no banks really struggled with funding, and and actually it was our early funding came back through uh, government programs. So there was a young entrepreneur program that they would co-sign your bank loan. So every bank that we went to with that, and that that had limited headroom, but that gave me actually the ability to raise a lot more money more easily than than my dad was able to raise in his business because they yeah having a co-signed loan by the government was 95 percent guaranteed by the government five percent guaranteed by me so but once that was up it was for a long time and it wasn't until not that long before we sold where we really started to have bankers that would understand the asset and and the, the size was big enough that 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 was starting to happen but that was it, it was a really the, the the return was really great, but it was really hard to get it financed, and the growth was such that we were we were always we were growing so fast that we always needed more capital than than we were we'd invest everything we made and and always just need more. So. I heard a stat that uh, growth often implodes a business rather than helps the business, and a lot of people, I mean, that doesn't seem to make any sense, but it's true oh, yeah. in, in your case where you're growing so fast, the revenue and the cash flow is not there. So you, like, it's almost like the biggest issue you have is is really financing that growth. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, I know 09 was like a moment where we, where we nearly hit the wall. Um, and really it was, it was relationships with suppliers that, that saved us. And that was always a incredibly important thing to my, my dad was, always know your banker, always have a relationship. And, and these days the banker is, is different, but those suppliers were, were largely a a banker to our business. So they would, we would order X number of containers and they would send 
30% more. And they, they just believed in, in that. And they trusted, um, really they trusted my dad and went, they, they knew that he would, he would do what, what was right in the end. So, um, yeah, it was, it was hugely relational, relational with suppliers, relational with staff. It was, it was a, it was a fun run. It's interesting too, because I have some business owners out there that think that uh, any vendors should be ground to dust. Yeah. Uh, you should try and cut corners with them, and it really, you know, during those tough times, those are when those relationships really show their true colors. And I think you know your dad probably knew the value of that, which is if you take care of them, they'll take care of you. And it it, it sounds like an outdated uh, thought, but I think for a lot of people. They, they tend to treat vendors differently. And I, I, I think that's really a key point in this is the fact that you had probably paid your bills and, and communicated if, if you're going to be slow on anything or there was just a lot of transparency. Yeah. I think that's the key. Yeah. And they were like, these were big, the, the representatives that were making these trusting were, were big ship line, like public company, highly scrutinized. And so in 09, when everything went sideways and 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 there was lots of trouble all over the place, they they were way out on on with with Big Steel Box and and they were very concerned. But but again, they all they all were patient and 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 it all worked out. Uh, but but without that relationship at that point, if they would have they could have panicked and they could have just sunk us right there. And yeah. but but it was. It it was it was a mutual thing because they they their their necks were on it was big enough that their necks were on the line and they were taking risks that that they probably shouldn't have been taken. So you you get through this massive hurdle, which is obviously oh nine, um, and it, let's just back it up a bit. Was it tough to get land for these containers? Because I imagine you have to be close enough to to the city to make an impact visually. But then on the other side, it has to be cheap enough land to actually make that that whole financial model make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it, the, the hardest thing was finding land that we always believed in finding highly visible locations um, along key corridors. Didn't need to be the access didn't need to be amazing, but the visibility because that was just a big part of the marketing. Um, and so finding those locations that would allow for it, and and it didn't really fit in a lot of places any zoning well because the industrial land shouldn't barely have retail on it the retail land didn't really want the industrial container like it was it was always a dance with the cities to find something that was suitable that they that they were okay with um, but but would also serve our purposes Um, Mm -hmm. and we worked with a lot of different indigenous communities across Canada and leased land there so like our Abbotsford Prince uh, Penticton um, Kamloops, a lot, lot of different locations would be would be with um, locates in in these areas. So, and there wouldn't be any erosion off these boxes, would there? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Because they're they're all contained and yeah. everything's good. Okay. Yeah. And what what's the size of a big steel box? Like, what's the average container size? Uh, our our most common would have been then, and I'm sure still is for them now. It'd be an eight by twenty. Okay. Um, and and the the housing phenomenon is kind of coming. Were you involved in that at all? Like, it, it, were you? I guess did you send any boxes to a development or any of that idea? Yeah, we we always kind of flirted with the idea. It's always got this like kind of appeal, but 
but really the focus of Big Steel Box was was on the rental rental of, of boxes and and we did do like construction site stuff and stuff for the oil field so more industry focused and um, they they continue to do some basic modifications and stuff like that today my my brother actually spun out um, of it my younger brother a company called Honomobo uh, with his brother-in-law uh, out in Edmonton they were doing like laneway homes and and they came together and started building um, houses out of like modular uh, CSA A277 modular uh, structures out of containers and they they've built and that's still that's company's still going strong my my brother sold a majority of his stake out of that but that that's still going strong and, and they build great product I think one of the things that we found is everybody thought okay well the structure it's cheap and now everything should like everyone just kind of thought well we could just do this anyone can do it it's but really you're you're replacing the like framing and you're also creating depending how as soon as you start going larger you're creating structural issues by removing walls and mm-hmm. so you I think I think there's a good architectural like design that comes from it but but it's not a, a lot of times people would be calling and they just think well you should be able to build me a home for 10 grand like boxes pretty much all the way there so so that was that was really the challenge um, it's it's I think remained way more of a niche niche thing and and it's for people that like the architectural design um and then and then in some cases like i think more remote or where building is really expensive and then you're building a small footprint i think there is there's a there's a real market for for that uh, but it's just not you're, you're not going to get it for half the price per square foot of a regular home it's going to be because it's small square footage it probably costs you more per square foot than than a big home um, that's true actually so. yeah um, okay, so you, you you build out this business, and then you had a firm or somebody approach you and say, "Hey, listen, we want to we want to buy the because you sold one hundred percent of it." Yeah. Okay. So when did that start happening, or when did you start realizing, "Okay, I have a I have a very serious buyer here." Yeah. So we we actually we used Deloitte um, out of, of Vancouver, a guy named David Lamb. He was a great um, great representative and he he we went to their firm and went just basically we kind of hit a point where there's a number of different just things going on I was the only one left active in the business at that point Um, we had had partners and and the business was just changing and we kind of hit a point where we realized that it was time for the family to to exit which which is really hard because we never we never saw ourselves like we it was there was a real emotional attachment. It was like a family to us. That mm-hmm. was that was a hard decision, but yeah, I think we we felt like it was the right decision for our family at that time, and and I think has turned out to to be so. Because I I would imagine you'd have to almost get uh, was it like a family meeting where you said, hey, like what do we feel about this? Is this uh, and and when you say a pivot point, was it just because the the operation need to scale again and you guys are just like you know what I, I think we're tapped out here and our bandwidth is tapped out is that kind of what that decision entailed yeah like I, at that point we had a, a number of other partners who were were minority partners and and i think the the business the kind of the the business felt like it was changing to us and and really looking and going okay now are, are we going to bury in and do another 10 years 
Um, and and I think I think one of the lessons too is to take out profits along the way. Like we always poured everything back in, and and so my dad and brothers and and well, the dad and brothers really were the partners in it, and and they weren't active. And and although there was all this great growth and obvious growth prospect, it was it would just continue to eat everything that it made and more. And, yeah. and it's, there, there was a question of, yeah, what, what do we want to do with our lives? And, and I was getting to a point where it, it was, I was feeling ready for a change. And, and I think, I think had I really wanted to, to continue in the, in what the current state was, my dad probably would have stuck with it with me, but I think, yeah, for me, it hit a point where it, it was, uh, yeah, there was external factors or internal external factors that were just making it not uh, not the same as it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, love the shine. <laughs> I, I, love, I love your diplomacy there. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll take a quick break. Um, and because I want to talk about the next <clears throat> iteration of your life, which is after the, the sale and everything else. But first, let's talk about the, uh, the sponsors. We have... Uh, you have print needs for your business. Uh, D6 Print Studio on Lucky Road has large format printers to service your every need. Um, and, you know, even if you're going to do a big steel box or something like that, who knows? Uh, follow CloneRNow.com on social media. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching CloneRNow. All the cool kids do. Okay. Uh, we'll be back in, in a minute with more Jason Sabanga, and we'll talk about, hey, what, what does life look like after you uh, sell your business? Hang on. Okay, well, this this is really uh, cool stuff. So you you found you found a buyer. I imagine that took took some time. Yeah, yeah. It was it was. I was actually trying to think the other day how long. Like I, I think it was from the time we decided it would have been probably close to eighteen months. And so that was that was a journey for sure. Is it tough to run your business when you have that going on in the background? Yeah, it was, and and I think because it's also like you're living a bit of a dual life because not everybody in the organization knows, and and so very few people knew about it, and so especially in a in a company that where it's very relational, and and we saw each other as family at some level, um, it was it, it felt inauthentic, mm-hmm. um, and, and and then yeah yeah so it was it was a challenging period of time. Because you would often, and I've heard businesses, as soon as somebody hears that a business is selling, key employees leave, yeah. vendors have problems, like a whole bunch of things yeah. change. And I, I know you're probably like, no, no, like nothing's happened and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, okay, so you, you get this, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears. You, you finally have some resources now. You finally have some fun money, I would yeah. imagine. Was there... Now I, I know you went off and, and bought a resort. Do you want to talk about the resort? Yeah, that was that was more recent. So that was like beginning actually right at the beginning of COVID. Just a it's just a resort makes it sound more grand than it is, but it's a RV RV and and we got hot pools and and some cabins and and that just kind of yeah for us it was it was largely out of an interest and uh, looking for kind of wanted some property anyhow that was somewhere to get away to and so we bought my brother and I uh, the brother who went and did the Honomobo as well he we uh, bought Crazy Creek Resort out by between Sycamus Revelstoke okay so yeah so been 
you know, there we've got actually one of our original managers from from Big Steel Box is now our managing partner. So he's coming as a partner, and he's um, he's awesome. Takes care of the the day to day, but it's yeah, been been really fun fun for for us to have have that to to do as as a business and and be engaged with, but also for our families because get to spend a lot of time out there. Kids get to work in the store. That kids really identify with it, and 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 yeah get to throw a big party for our family and friends every fall which is probably my highlight of, of of the whole thing is yeah just community and hanging out with people and it, it seems like that could be an hgtv show oh oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, the stuff that happens so it's in, in the place we're in is maliqua and and the characters we often go the things that happen there are like head spinners like yeah <laughs> and the character the people that come out of the woodwork out there i just love it it's lots of unique individual people that are just i i really have a ton of respect for people that just dance to the beat of their own drum and and just aren't bothered by and and you just find people out, out there for sure i think that are that are just they're just non-conforming they're just enjoying life and and yeah yeah, it's good. Again, your diplomacy is on full display. I, I love that term, non-conforming. <laughs> Other people would say odd, but you say non-conforming. It sounds way better. <laughs> I wish I was... I'm going to start calling myself, I'm non-conforming. I'm not weird. No. <laughs> so you you have this, uh, this result. Was it everything you thought it would be? Like, is it... Because, I mean, you... From the outside looking in, you're going to buy this, you know, piece of property that's yours and your family's and you can go visit it. But is it kind of like owning a restaurant where it sounds really cool and then you get into it and you go, uh, you know, it's a lot more work than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think there's huge pros and cons to it for sure. And I think for me personally, I well, one, it was way more work than we anticipated and we got way more involved than we were planning <laughs> For sure. So it sounds um, like a restaurant. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but but the fun thing has been it like in COVID, I liked I, I wanted to be doing something and it was a business that that allowed people to get out because camping and getting out into nature was was a good way and outdoor pools that were open air and and so it it really provided like a opportunity for people to have community in a challenging time and, and it was and, and it so we, we were able to expand a lot, create a lot more sites, and just see see people draw in and and yeah, I think it built a lot of goodwill with people because they there weren't a lot of things they could do and and so it's been I think we were surprised by the amount of work, but we were also been surprised at at the amount of growth and the the opportunity that we've seen out there and and really just having a really large piece of property out between like Revelstoke is blowing up and, and the is. whole yeah. area out there is you, you enter into a totally different ecosystem. We come from like a desert in Kelowna to a, like a rain, the, the edge of a interior rainforest mm-hmm. out there. So you, you enter into a totally different world. Uh, it's two hours away. And, and so, yeah, we've, we've loved it. It, it was definitely, there was moments where it's challenging mostly because of our distance so being two hours and when something goes wrong and you don't have a dependable manager out there it it just was it brought chaos into our lives because you were always at a moment's notice so we that we weren't 
we, we thought it'd be easier to find a great manager <laughs> and, and we just, we had some, we had some challenges and it took some, some time to really get to the place where, where we are today. So what's funny is, you know, a lot of people could, you could literally just retire after the business sale, but it, that doesn't seem to be in your DNA. Well, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think, um, like I'm, I was 35 or 36, 35. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to just retire for the rest of my life. Like I'd still have to be smart in investing or, or whatever. And, and, and then I guess I wonder what really, what is, what is retirement? I think, I think what I, I've had a lot more flexibility in what I do with my time and, 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 I've really loved that, and I've I've dug into some not-for-profit stuff, and 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 I also see where I love business, and so I'm trying to strike that balance and and really yeah find a find a way to live that balanced life and that that works for me, and I I, I like a, a pretty high pace, um, and but I found myself even a couple years back I got myself so busy again that that I really was neglecting my family more than mm-hmm. than I wanted and and so I can that's that's my natural tendency is to to go there so how do I I, I but I need the pace or I'm just somewhat miserable as a as a human so <laughs> I I I have to find that and and I'm I think I'm starting to get get to that place where I'm I'm finding that balance and I'm able to say no when I need to say no and uh, but but am able to keep myself busy enough that having fun and hopefully having an impact. So I would think with someone who's uh, been able to have enjoy some success, you do, you do a little bit of a self-evaluation. You go, okay, what's important to me in life? Obviously, business is always going to be important. Family's important. But you also found another calling through Metro. Like that became mm-hmm. really a, a primary part of your life. So j- just explain why that was such a big component for you. Yeah, so so Metro, like for for a long time, I've I've had just an interest and a heart to to try to be in community with with people that, specifically people that are experiencing homelessness or or in in that lifestyle, and and so I don't know what exactly drew me to that to start with. I think, I think, if if anything, it's I I, I was a challenging kid growing up and and had a hard time in school, but I had. A, a mom that would fight for me and, and parents that cared and, and, and backed me up. And, and I often thought, had I not had a mom that laid awake at night and worried and would call me at two in the morning, um, which she doesn't do anymore, but she knew when to do it back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know where I would have been. And, and I had like all of the, everything going for me. And, and, and I don't think I was that many decisions away from, from, from being there myself. And so I think just that, that realization has always, has always made me, yeah, just interested to, to be around and, and try to be a, uh, yeah, positive, um, personality in, in the space. Um, so yeah, that, and so, yeah, so our, I would have started back in, I think around 2006 started doing, um, we were with a group of people hanging out down in gospel mission, doing like a dinner and, and hanging out. And, and then that is that, that group, uh, then birthed out of actually Willow Park church originally, then that group created a society called Metro community. And, and that, 
that kind of has woven its way through my story. And, and as I got really busy with Big Steel Box, I, I, I lost, I, I remained on the board there, but I, I would say lost some level of touch with it. And, and uh, yeah, when once, once we sold, there were, there were demands there that, that I, that needed attention and, and I had free time. And so I jumped in and, and really, yeah, had a, had an incredible experience um, over the last five years specifically just working working with that organization that's incredible so it did that give you some because i find people that work with nonprofit, it gives them something back too what what did it give you yeah like i think i i think there, there was a time right after i sold that that i i i don't know how to explain but i i don't i didn't care as much i didn't care about things as much and 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 I think it wasn't until I got in into the mud into the dirt serving where I where I found myself back at at, at some level and and I think service doing something where you're where you're giving of yourself um it's it's critical, um, and and I think actually it's even now I think it's a, this balance of it's easy to get on boards and put on boards and and be doing board work and get detached from from the actual like connecting with people and 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 seeing those stories and being a part of those stories and 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 that's not it's just not the same. Like I think we were wired. I, I think I think that people with privilege which i i think i've been in in multiple ways with a with a family who cares and then financially and and with blessing i think that it's our responsibility to do something with that to try to to try to use what we have what we've been entrusted with to to help people that at at this moment maybe are having a harder time finding their way and so um that's it's been 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 a game changer for me for sure was there a moment in particular that gave gave that back to you was there a person or a, like somebody from a homeless sector that just you know really resonated with you yeah yeah I would say so so I um, kind of found myself I was working with BC housing Metro had a building downtown they were working with them back in 2019 to to lease the building for a, for a shelter and it ended up um, they didn't have an operator and I was talking to the regional director of uh, BC Housing at the time I was like well let me know if I can help I and and I had I was actually visiting Tent City quite a bit with one of my daughters um, and and was at the point where I realized maybe I just need to go sleep down there because if if I was down there I'd be a lot more creative on how to solve this problem instead of it being such an academic problem and 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 i figured and and so i had that conversation with the regional director i just said here's what i feel like something just needs to be done and and so if i can help and then she said would you be willing to start up a shelter and and run it and no experience at all (laughs) in in that kind of a thing and and ended up working with another local lady named tara schroeder who's got experience worked uh, in from the cold and she has continued on in that in that space but um over a month we 
we renoed the building, hired 20 staff, and brought on like 100 volunteers. It was huge community support. It was it was beautiful to be a part of. But that was that experience of a few months and, and just the connection into people. And, and I think the moments, there were there were probably two moments specifically where one um, – and I, I want to be careful with the story, but there was there was a guy who was who was um, beat up in in January. He was put into a coma, then discharged onto the street after being in a coma for a couple months. And and I met him in the shelter and went to talk to him. And he had wasn't able to communicate. Um, and and I saw. So I'm what I thought to be maybe overdosing and, and he was actually just seizuring and and uh, I was talking to one of the staff. I was worried worried about him. He said, Well look at look at this wound on him. That's from when his his one of his family members tried to take his life. And there was this moment of like, what are the chances that this person has? And and I think beyond that I was like overwhelmed with this, um, I, I would say a spiritual experience of God's love for this individual and how much this person was loved. And it was like this, it like made me, made me weep. And I just felt like, and, and so I think this like moment of somebody who I would walk down the street and could be, could be turned off by, it wasn't, but, but this like, again, like a spiritual experience of like recognizing his worth and his value and, and that he is, he, he's been so mistreated by his experience on this earth, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he is loved. And, and, and I, I felt, I felt like someone else's love for him. Yeah. Um, and, and that happened. It was, it was, it was two times I had an experience like that where I just saw somebody who at one at, at first glance made me feel uncomfortable and and over time just my eyes opened up and I just saw saw something more in humanity um yeah and yeah it's powerful though like it and it's you know I've I we've chatted with Dave Crisco as well and he's uh you know he's one of those people that you know he has some assets, so he's willing to uh, to work with the community and, and really try and make a difference. So, so honestly, that that's a huge shout out to to people like you that you know are trying to fundamentally make a difference with a very complex issue. Like, I mean, you know, we ha- we started a homelessness podcast because we couldn't. I kept hearing from different people. This is such a it's got so many different layers to it, and there's yeah. complexity, and there's data, and there's you know, you got mental illness and you have opioid and then you have this fetal alcohol and like the, the list was endless. And yeah. I couldn't believe that, you know, as smart as we are as a society, that we couldn't somehow creatively innovate and figure out a way, uh, a path forward. So, so good on you for coming up with a, a shelter because I think if, if nothing else, that gives them some relief from, from a very hard life, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And you know, I think I think it's curious. It's curious to me that homelessness is one of the only things we're allowed to discriminate 
against for people. Like in, in this day and age where we're so aware of treating people and, and, and looking at helping people and, and not judging people, and but we like openly people can discriminate and treat poorly somebody who appears homeless. <laughs> and, and I think mm-hmm. the, the thing that they have in common is that they're, they're, they're hitting some kind of rock bottom from multiple different paths. So it's actually this group of incredibly vulnerable people for v- many different reasons, yet, yet our society somehow still is okay when stories get written about these individuals that are, that are just harsh, judgmental, put them all into one, like with just our language towards them. It's, 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 it baffles me often that, that we can be so, so concerned about equality and these different things, but not if you're homeless, that's on you. That's on you. You, you're the reason it doesn't matter about your brain injury, your mental health, your, anyhow, I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. And I think people need to think a little bit more about that because I I don't think that's the society we want to be. Mm -hmm. And I think we know better, but we, something in there, we get stuck. I think we do get stuck. Yeah. Um, Final thoughts, uh, you know, you're, are you still looking for business opportunity out there and yeah. just kind of keeping your eyes open, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. More recently I've been like, I love business and, and, um, and, and I love yeah, components of that. And, and, and I, so yeah, more recently I've been looking uh, for something not, not hugely rushed and, and, but also feeling like I, I really am at a stage now where I want to get reengaged and would like to find business to buy or find a business to start or get involved with, um, something that's got potential to grow or change or, or pivot or, um, I think, I think what I've, the, the part that I loved most about Big Steel Box was my dad's this serial entrepreneur and, and I think, um, blending a little bit of the middle, like being able to go a little bit kind of entrepreneur to a bit more systems, processes and, and structure, but really a lot of respect for what, what that pure entrepreneur, I'm not as pure of an entrepreneur, blank sheet of paper to me, I find a bit more intimidating. I'd rather a machine that I can tinker with, (laughs) but, but, uh, I think through experience there, just really have a, a lot of respect for the entrepreneur that's grounded out, um, and, and has taken it to where they take it to. And, and I think really want to be involved maybe in that transition phase of going, how do you maintain that culture and that, that the beauty of what, an organization like that has, but, but set it up with some systems processes and, and maybe see it hit the next, the next stage. Got a mattress company we should talk about. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been uh, such a big pleasure and, and, uh, just if real quick, is there any advice you can give for young entrepreneurs that are just looking at starting out? And is there any word of advice you would give to them? I think I think the the biggest thing I learned after I left Big Steel Box was was I wasn't putting enough. I, I think had I not exited that, I think the chances of my my family relationships being as strong as they are today are are much lower. And and. I was so focused and, and my wife was so focused on, on she, she was a huge support in my corner, but, but I wasn't 
for myself as as um, concerned about making sure I'm taking care of my family relationally as as I as I should have. And that's so. So I think I re- I really think that you can have all the success in the world, but but if 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 that falls apart, just the impact on us, we're relational creatures. Um, and, and I think I just value where I'm at with my family right now so much. Um, and, and I'm, I really want to charge in business and then do other things, but I want to, yeah, want to maintain that. So very good stuff. Uh, Jason Sabinga, thanks so much for sharing the time and sharing a lot of yourself like this. This has been a, a great chat and, and thanks for doing it. Oh, thanks for having me.